And we are going to be in Romans chapter 9 this morning. Romans chapter 9 is where we're going to start. We're going through Genesis 1 through 12. Uh, what happened in Israel this week uh, with war that's going on got my attention. And I started reading about Israel in Scripture and read through Romans 9, 10, and 11. And I wanted to go here. And then after a couple of days, I was convinced I'm supposed to go here. And so we're going to set Genesis aside. It's a pretty good place. Um, Set Genesis aside where Adam is by himself and he doesn't have Eve. He'll get her in three weeks, okay? (laughs) Sorry, Adam. (laughs) We're in Romans chapter 9. Israel, uh, I'm sure everyone is aware, is in the news. um, And that's significant for several reasons. Um, One of the uh, biggest, most uh, present reason is because of the trauma and the tragedy and the death and the loss that's going on, all the heartbreak that war brings, always has, always will. Um, but there are biblical reasons that it's significant as well. Um, one of them would be because of end times activities that are prophesied. Uh, I'm not saying that this is the end. What I'm saying is that this certainly appears to be um, something that's close to Um, Jesus' words to his disciples in Matthew 24 came to mind. I read that. I read Mark 13 again, where Jesus said, When you see these things, um, so also when you see these things happening, uh, know that it, the end, is near. It's at the door. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 30 of a time of Jacob's trouble um, like no other. And they they will encounter that. That will happen. Hasn't happened yet. Uh, The promise to Abraham also comes to mind. That's significant. Uh, His seed is the biblical origin of the problem between Israel and its neighbors. Um, One of the reasons that Hamas and Hezbollah uh, hate Israel with a passion is because um, they are also Abraham's seed. And they say, hey, we own and should have part of this land as well. Um, Between Isaac, the son of promise, and Ishmael, the patriarch, uh, as many know him, of Islam, Abraham's first son from Hagar, uh, Sarah's, Sarah's handmaiden. This is what Genesis 16 says of Ishmael, uh, and ultimately descendants as well. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Um, add to these two significant things, end times prophecies, Abraham's seed, Um, The teachings that the Jews rejected Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. Um, They delivered him to the cross for death. Crucify him, crucify him. And it didn't stop there. Uh, They continued persecuting um, Jesus' followers. Saul, who was a Pharisee as well, um, would drag people out of their homes, place them in prison. Um, He was miraculously converted. And isn't it interesting that he, a Jew, would become the the, uh, apostle to the Gentiles. Um, And so uh, there's a lot going on, not just with the modern day tragedy that's there, but also biblically. Um, We fast forward to 2023 and Israel continues to be surrounded by many enemies. They always will be. Um, We also have seen many nations this week uh, projecting Israel's flag as a statement of solidarity, wanting to stand with them. And that's encouraging. It's not always going to be that way. And it can change really, really quick. 
All that has to happen is for Israel to go into northern Gaza and some civilians be killed and then all of a sudden things can change just because of lies and things that are leaked out to the press and things of that nature. Um, we've seen though many people stand beside them, not, not all for sure. As the church, followers of Christ from different tribes and tongues and nations, opinions about Israel can vary. Um, there are some who say, I think erroneously, that God is completely finished with Israel and He has now turned His attention to the church. Um, we'll see this in a minute. Romans 11 verse 25 tells us that a partial hardening has come upon Israel. So there is a hardening there, a partial hardening, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Don't overlook that phrase, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And that's Jesus uh, telling His disciples, go into all the world, not just to the Jews, but go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so the gospel has reached out to, I'm guessing, the vast majority of us. Um, we have some that have some Jewish uh, blood here, um, but uh, most of us are likely Gentiles. Others see the Jews as almost a brother, this is erroneously as well, as almost a brother because they worship Old Testament Jehovah. Um, that's complicated. Complicated because genuine Old Testament Jehovah worship would lead you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they didn't get there. And so brothers that lock arms and walk in faith together, um, that's, not the, that's not the reality. So they're not really brothers in the faith. Actually, their problem, what we're going to find in Romans 9, 10, and 11, is that they had a faithlessness. Uh, and that was their problem. We recognize that Israel has a unique situation. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 tells us, You're a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possessions out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And let me encourage you as I read through some of these scriptures, you maybe just jot them down or go back over um, what's uh, uh, on the web, and that way you can jot them down and read some of these chapters. Um, so they're a chosen people. So the uniqueness is that we have this chosen people truth in our mind, and that's a reality. That's truth, Deuteronomy chapter 7. But we also have in our minds the truth of the, of the rejected Messiah, and a partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, as well as a 70-week prophecy given to Daniel, a three-part prophecy um, to be fulfilled the last week of it, which fits the time frame of Jacob's trouble very nicely. It also coincides really well with the fullness of the Gentiles. And so we've got all of those things going on in our mind. And sometimes I think that we wonder, and I hear phrases from conversations of people that are believers with some confusion mixed in about our relationship with, with Israel and how are we to view Israel. And hopefully this is going to help us. So where does that put us as believers in our understanding and our relationship with Israel? Uh, David told us in the Psalms, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And certainly we want to do that. We recognize God's chosen people and, and that's critical. Um, but we also recognize, and we'll see this today, that not all Israel is Israel. And so that gets to be a little bit confusing. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We could talk about Hamas and Hezbollah and how they hate Israel with a passion. Um, that would be very easy. It, mer it merits a message or two or ten. 
Um, but that would take us back to Genesis 16. Um, we're not going to talk about that this morning. What I want to talk about is how, what is our relationship as followers of Jesus Christ with, with, uh, with Israel. Uh, that's what I want us to consider this morning. And actually, God inspired Paul, who was an Israelite, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, to address that very subject. And he does that in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. So what I want to do this morning isn't a verse-by-verse study. We're not going to read every verse of 9, 10, and 11. It'd probably take too long. Uh, but I want us to do an overview. Romans gives an overview of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit gives with this overview of the gospel a section that deals specifically God and his dealings with Israel. It's chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, which fits perfectly because, as Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, salvation is of the Jews. It gives an explanation of the gospel, and so the Jews and how God deals with them should be included which obviously it is. So in Romans, in the midst of a gospel explanation, Scripture takes the time to explain Israel's present situation, though not this week's situation, but kind of, um, answering questions like these. He doesn't put it this way, but questions like, what's going on with Israel, God's chosen people? We should wonder that when we recognize that they're God's chosen people and we see these wars and the trouble that they've had and the attempted annihilations of the nations for long periods of time. Who actually is Israel, uh, he addresses. Why did God choose Jacob, whose name would become changed to Israel, and not Esau? And he explains, because God has mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy. He gets to do that because he's the potter. And the potter gets to make from the same lump whatever it is that he chooses to make, is what he'll show us. Does that mean God is unrighteous because he didn't choose the one and he chose the other? The answer is no, and we'll talk about that a bit. How can they, the Jews, call on him in whom they've not believed? Is God finished with Israel? And Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 give us some information that help us process how we should approach and think about the nation of Israel in light of them being God's chosen people and yet rejecting and killing and persecuting um, the Messiah and later the church as well. I want us to consider some of the key elements in these three chapters that speak to the matter of Israel and the gospel of Israel and the church, and I think it'll help us in our understanding. So roll up your sleeves. Uh, We might go a little bit quick. We're in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And the first thing I want us to see is that Paul had a significant burden for Israel. This is what he says. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Now, I want to stop right there just for a second, and I want to talk about that unceasing anguish. Paul continued his ministry day in and day out with this heavy, burdened heart about his contejanos, his brothers nationally, Israel. And I say that to highlight this. I know that some of us have a continual, unceasing, heavy heart because of something that goes on in life. And there can be a tendency to think, why, God, why don't you free me for this? Or why don't you answer the prayer in the time and the way that I think that you should answer the prayer? I want us to recognize we're not alone. There are other people that have that same burden, likely everybody in some arena of life at some particular time in life, as did the Apostle Paul. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. 
For I could so much so that he says, I would rather not be born again and have peace with God. I would rather transfer that to my brothers that are in Israel. He couldn't do that, but that's how heavy it was on his heart. Verse 3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And then this is what he says, they are Israelites. To them belong, and you just count this out, to them belong the adoption. The glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. From their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. All all of that came from the Jews. Those eight qualities, nine if you count Israelites, those things came from from God through through Israel. Verse 6, But it's not as though the word of God has failed, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they're his offspring. Actually, we know that Abraham had a son, Ishmael, um, by Hagar, the handmaiden. He had received a promise. They didn't have a son. They were wringing their hands. So they said, well, let's just help God out a little bit. And that was a problem, continues to be a problem today. It's the root of the problem of what's going on in Israel right now. Um, But Abraham had Ishmael, and and then Sarah did become pregnant. God did a miraculous event there, and she, and, he, and she became pregnant and had Isaac, and Isaac was the son of promise. But after, after Sarah died over in Genesis chapter 5, I think it's 6, I forgot to confirm it, but I think Abraham went on to have six other sons as well um, from handmaidens. And so there were a lot, of, a lot that would belong to the seed of Abraham, um, but Scripture here will speak about the seed of the promise. It's not as though the Word of God has failed. Verse 6, for not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, uh, speaks of other children, excuse me, but through Isaac shall be your, your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offsprings. They're not just the promise to Abraham because of Sarah, but also the promise of Rebekah to Isaac. Rebekah also was barren. We find that in Genesis 25 also, and he continues with that. Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father Isaac, though they were not yet born and had not yet done either good or bad, they don't even exist yet, And yet the potter gets to be the potter in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. And it's written, verse 13, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I have hated. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I despised. So before these two brothers even existed, God had already chosen because he's the potter. This one will be blessed. This one I will raise up for a different purpose. And then he gives another illustration of that different purpose with Pharaoh. He says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to free the children of Israel. And he gives that as a, he gives that as an illustration. So we can see that God narrows the promise and where it comes from. So you can imagine the conflict that would happen as a result of that, which has happened from those days all the way up to this week and will continue to happen after this war, if it finishes um, into the next as well. So is God unjust? Is he unrighteous because he chose the one over the other? Paul begs that question, and the answer is absolutely no, absolutely not. What shall we say then, verse 14, is there injustice on God's part? By no means. 
For he says to Moses, I'm going to have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Who is Jerry? Who are you? Who is anyone to tell God who he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do? I'm the one who's the creator. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And if I want to raise someone up so that I can glorify someone else, then that's what I'll do. And he did that. He did that with Pharaoh. He did that with uh, Jacob and Esau as well. And he continues to do that today. And then he gives the illustration of Pharaoh. I've raised you up for this very purpose. Verse 21 of chapter 9. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And you might say, you know, that messes with what I believe and know about God. And that's what Bible study is supposed to do. When you read your Bible and you start understanding it, it should challenge the things that we believe. And along the way, if we're growing in the Lord, we're going to adjust some of the things that we believe and some of the things that we embrace. We don't believe something and it's called truth just because we believe it and it's been declared to us that way. Um, we believe it because it's declared in Scripture. So that, should be, so that should be the natural process. He can use His wrath. He can use His mercy to call out a people, and that's what he says he's doing. And then he quotes Hosea, those who are not my people, that would be Gentiles, I will call my people. And Isaiah cries out, he quotes in verse 27, Isaiah cries out, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. All of Israel isn't all of Israel, it's just some that are the believing seed of Abraham. If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, he says, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. And that's who Old Testament Israel was. Once they entered into the land, whenever they got their eyes off of the Lord, the next thing you knew, the next thing you know, they were worshiping false gods. They were committing atrocious activities. And, and they would have been like Sodom. They would have been like Gomorrah. Oftentimes, many times. The Old Testament Jews' wickedness surpassed the surrounding nations. And the biggest problem with that is that they were God's chosen people. They had truth that was revealed to them, but they missed it. They looked at religiosity. They didn't look at relationship for the most part. There's always been a remnant that, that continues today. Their wickedness was so bad that God used other nations to chastise them. And I think he continues, we see that, he continues to use other nations to get their attention, ultimately to turn their attention to Christ as well. That will happen. First he used Babylonia, then he used Medo-Persia, then he used Greece, then he used Rome, and there continues to be problems today. It wasn't over, and it won't be until the end. But not only that... But verse 30 says this, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? Not all of them, obviously, but Gentiles who believe in faith. That is, because wide is the, is the path that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life. Those Gentiles that pursue the Lord by faith have obtained it. That is, a righteousness is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law would, would, uh, but, but Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. 
stone. Jesus, the rock of offense. He came, he announced himself to them. They rejected him, ultimately delivered him to be crucified. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That doesn't mean that many within Israel aren't religious. They are. Many are intensely religious. They would show us up in the religiosity that they have. But they stumbled over the rock of offense. They rejected Jesus Christ and continue for the most part to reject Jesus Christ as well, all but a remnant. The delicate, even possibly confusing thing is their religiosity with Jehovah, Old Testament Jehovah, and not a relationship. Is that they worship Jehovah of the Old Testament, but they're still waiting for their promised Messiah. He came. They're going to recognize that during this time of tribulation. Again, kind of a worship of Jehovah of the Old Testament because in reality, worshiping Jehovah God in the Old Testament will lead you to acknowledge who the person of Jesus Christ is. So what's my relationship with Israelites, with Jewish individuals who reject Jesus Christ? We don't walk together in faith. We might walk together in some of the morality that exists in life, and we're thankful for some of those kinds of things, but our faith motivation, our genuine worship of God, it's not there. We don't have that as something that is common. In Israel, like everyone else, Romans chapter 10 says they need the gospel. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but most don't want to hear it, kind of like a lot of people in, in, in America. We can become gospel hard. We hear it so often that we get tired of hearing about Jesus. Well, they do too. They continue to pursue God through their religious observances. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I want to read that again. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. A zeal for God is not enough. A zeal for God can never be enough. A zeal for God is deceptive. Because I have this zeal for Jehovah, or I have a zeal for some person that I call God, even Jesus, but not according to knowledge. It's got to be a zeal for God as well as according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And the Jew just says, I can't give up Moses' law. I must do what it says in the law. That's how I gain my righteous standing before the Lord. Not only that, I'm so concerned about the law of Moses that I'm going to create laws around the laws so that I don't get close to violating it. But Jesus takes care of all that. They can't give it up. They have a zeal for God, but it must be met with biblical truth, and the truth is Christ. Not just mentioning Jesus, this could be for us. Not just mentioning Jesus, or I prayed a prayer, or I did something, or I go to church, but all of the fullness of the truth that's in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Excuse me, he's a new creature. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says this, The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It isn't just knowing the name of Jesus. It isn't just knowing the name of Jehovah. It's being in Christ. It's being Christ in me. There's a huge difference. And I can go to church every day, all of my life, every Sunday, all of my life, and not be in Christ. Even a Bible preaching, Bible teaching church as well. 
How does one get in Christ or Christ in you? And he addresses that. Romans chapter 10, he answers in verse 8. It's true for the Jew. It's true for the Greek or the Gentile as well. And this is what it says in verse 8. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. They had the message. They had heard of Jesus and his Messiahship, the promise of it for those who lived prior to that. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It was true in Paul's day. It's true today. It's going to be true as long as, as, long as God allows us to walk this earth. That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, and that isn't just Jesus, I acknowledge you. It's being in Christ and all of the fullness of what that means. It's Christ in me and all of the fullness of what that means as well. And that's what brings salvation. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That's what the scripture says. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the only way. It's a very narrow way. It's a one-person specific way. It's a non-religious way. Calling upon the name of the Lord. Jesus died for me, for my sin. His blood covers me and washes me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And let me just add... You could be at this church and hear it week in and week out and have never called upon the name of the Lord. Or you called upon the name of the Lord in some I want to please mom and dad sort of way or I want to participate in the Lord's Supper sort of a way, but you're not in Christ. Christ isn't in you. God's grace is still sufficient. Call upon the name of the Lord. If he convinces you in your mind and in your heart that you need to do that, today would be the day. Do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart because it gets easier to harden it every single time that I, that I harden my heart to the, to the work of the Spirit of God. Israel heard without hearing. They saw Jesus without seeing. It can be true of Gentiles who hear the gospel also. It can be true of the person who sits in church at Lone Jack Baptist Church Sunday after Sunday. If you need to be born again because you're not in Christ, Christ isn't in you, do not harden your heart. Listen to, the God, listen to God's word of salvation. To Israel, God says, verse 10, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 21, All day long I stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long, an expression of I've done it ever since you've existed. All the time I'm stretching out my hand to a disobedient and contrary or argumentative or obstinate people. I lead you to a Messiah and you reject him. I tell you to repent, and you do for a time, and then I find you back in the sin that, you're, that you were doing prior to that as well. Disobedience and contrary in a couple of ways for them in their history. In much of their Old Testament history, they pursued other gods. Um, they did some horrendous things. Um, they they uh, were godless, completely resisting the word of the Lord, as well as they pursued Jehovah these days, in Paul's day and these days, through their own work rather than through a faith relationship. And I wonder, this is just me wondering, I think about the Old Testament and how Israel would always worship false gods and they did horrible things morally as well and then there was this intertestament time 
400 years. That was the time, and maybe you've heard of the books of the Maccabees, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, 3rd and 4th Maccabees. They, they were militant in their righteousness. And I wonder if that's when it transitioned from serving and worshiping false gods into this, into this uh, no-nonsense no religiosity, always fulfilling completely all of the law. I'm not sure. It might be that. But in Paul's day, um, they pursued a relationship with the Lord through works rather than through through faith in verse 20 isaiah boldly states he was found by those who did not seek him Uh, he showed himself to those who did not ask for him that was that's me that's jerry that's my testimony i wasn't looking i was having way too much fun in life it was going to cost me somewhere along the line but it happened at least young enough that it cost me but it didn't cost me as much as it cost some but God showed himself to me. I saw who I really was in light of the law of Moses. I recognized who Jesus was, and, I, and, and, and there was repentance of my sin, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I wasn't pursuing him. And maybe you're sitting in church, and you're thinking, I'm pursuing him, but if it's just dead religiosity, no, you're not. And, and, and yet God is graceful and grace-filled and can pursue you in the midst of that. Chapter 11 we're going to ask this question. Has God rejected his people, his people being Israel? Romans chapter 11. I ask then, has God, re- has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself, Paul says, I'm an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I haven't been rejected. I'm not accepted because of the works that I've done. I'm accepted because of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, but he hasn't rejected me. Verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altar. This is Israel doing this to God's prophets. They've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what did God? But what did God reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And God continues to have a remnant today. The nation as a whole rejected their Messiah. They still seek God through a relationship, not, excuse me, not relationship. They still seek God through uh, the responsibility of working the law. Um, but he has a remnant that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But what did God reply to him? Verse 4, I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace and then he says this to help clarify what grace is if it's by grace it's no longer on the basis of works otherwise grace would no longer be grace and we've just got to be as believers new testament believers we've got to be so very careful that we don't mingle the law back into grace we don't earn God's better acceptance because we now observe some sort of Moses' law justifying it because it was Old Testament. It's grace. It's only grace. And if we mingle the law back into it, grace is no longer grace. Still today, God has a remnant among the Jews. We're getting ready to, Kathy and I are going to go to Brazil and spend a couple of weeks down there and lead a, in a pastor's uh, workshop, pastor's and wives' workshop. And one of the men that's there is a Jew. I don't know if you knew that, but Juan and Huchi, Juan is half Jewish. And God continues to have a remnant even among the Jews. But it's only through grace. It's not works. It's not grace and works. Because if it's grace and works, it's no longer grace. That's what Paul is emphasizing here. God gave them, the majority of Israel, a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. 
Romans 11, verse 8. Verse 11 asks another question. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall and that be in a complete fall? By no means, he says. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So one of the reasons that Paul states here, spirit-inspired, that God allowed Israel to fall and that Jesus sent his disciples into all the world to preach the gospel is that Gentiles, like you and I, if you're not Jewish, would come to know the Lord and it would create this jealousy among Israel and they would say why do they get what I don't have I I sought a genuine relationship with the Lord and yet I don't have it and he says it's going to create some jealousy there verse 12 if their trespass means riches for the world if their failure means riches for the Gentiles how much more will their full inclusion mean that tells us God isn't done with Israel there's going to be a full inclusion at some point in his history his timeline Verse 13 through 24, Paul hits us Gentiles with a sledgehammer of spiritual truth. I hope you have ears to hear this. He hits us with a sledgehammer. Has salvation come to the Gentiles? Yes. That highlights Jesus' words of going into all of the world. And then he talks about Israel being an olive tree and the Gentiles being wild olives and how God used the, and how God took some branches from the wild olive trees and grafted them in to the, to the olive tree. That would be us. Verse, uh, Romans 11 says this, the Jews rejected their Messiah. Uh, Their attempt to gain Jehovah's favor through religious uh, works resulted in their branches being broke off. Those who were not believers, but just seeking relationship with Jehovah through works, he took those branches of the olive tree and he broke them off and he threw them down. And and the sledgehammer of truth that he's going to give us is he will do the same thing to you and me if we cease to believe in the Lord as well. I'm not saying you get saved and then you lose your salvation. I think it's a demonstration that there never was really genuine salvation. But but don't mess with unbelief or don't mess with mingling the law into the belief that I have. Verse 17 says this, If some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Hey, Israel, that's going through a war this week. The reason you're going through a war is because of your lack of belief in your Messiah. Don't be arrogant. That's not our place to be arrogant. Paul said that. Don't be arrogant that you received something by grace and they sought something and didn't seek it by grace and didn't get it. How should you consider arrogant today? Don't be, how should you consider Israel? Don't be arrogant towards them. If you are, he says, remember it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And the root would be that the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarch, Christ. Don't be arrogant. The root supports you as wild olive branches that have been grafted into the olive tree. And then he says this. Verse 19, then you will say branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. You stand fast through your faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. 
that should that should grip our attention of the of the critical aspect of maintaining a personal dynamic growing faith relationship with our lord and don't be confused because of little phrases that we create or somebody's created and put into a book thinking that god won't break off your branch if you continue if you continue in unbelief this is what he said i will and then he said this he says Note the kindness and the severity of God. We love talking about the kindness of God. I mean, we'll talk about his love and his grace and his mercy and his patience all day long. We'll make plaques of that. We'll put it in our homes. Have you ever seen one about the severity of God? God's going to break you off as a branch if you continue in your unbelief or continue to mix works into it. We don't see that. He says, he says, consider the kindness of God. We should do that. But there is a severity of God. And we should consider that as well. God is absolutely holy. He's not going to put up with Israel's junk. And church, he's not going to put up with our junk either. And he said, I'll break that branch off as well. I did it here. I'll do it here also. And we have little phrases like once saved, always saved. And I prayed a prayer. And so I'm good to go. But I see no spiritual life for a year and five years and 10 years and 20 years. Who are we kidding? It's spiritual suicide. It Kindly, it's spiritual stupidity. It's blindness is what it is. I will break that branch off is what he has to say. It's a sledgehammer. Note the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness. Huge. Otherwise, you too will be. But you don't, let me stop. You don't do that by willpower. You don't do that because I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm just going to purpose that I'm going to love God and I'm going to resist the devil and I'm going to pursue him. And we need to do that. But it's under the grace of God, I need to be in Christ. Christ needs to be in me. Then it's the Holy Spirit working his work through his word, through me and through my life. It isn't just the will of man that does that. I'm not saying we don't engage our wills. Note then the kindness, the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue, how about this for a God power? If they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. And so Israel, with this unbelief, I'm going to pursue God, I'm going to pursue Jehovah through the, through the obedience to the law. And they recognize, no, it's Jesus and it's faith in him. He'll take that branch and he'll graft it back into the olive tree. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree... How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? It says back up in verse 23, even if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. It's not impossible with God. And so we recognize his power. Is God finished with Israel? Is that why they're going through what they're going through this week? And it's, going to, it's not going away, not anytime soon. Is God finished with Israel? It's going to go away in the millennium. That's when it's going to go away. Is God finished with Israel? Lest you be wise in your own sight. Verse 25, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. 
Jesus sent his disciples out to preach the gospel into all the world, and people from all nations, non-Jewish nations, are coming to know him. And until that time is full, there's going to be a partial hardening of Israel. Is there a remnant, some who are going to believe on the Lord? Yes, there is. But as a nation, the vast majority are going to continue to resist and to reject the Lord. This fits very well for Christ's church going to the ends of the earth calling a people who were not a people. It fits with the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, the tribulation period for Daniel's people of Revelation, a time when Jesus said Israel will be hated by all nations. You know what we didn't see this week? We didn't see Israel being hated by all nations. We saw nations projecting Israel's flag in various places, and, and I follow a Behold Israel website. It's an app that you can follow on your phone. You get um, good news from non uh, non-screened sources that are united from the United States. Um, you might want to do that. But we didn't see Israel being hated by all nations. But Jesus said in Revelation 24, it's going to happen. All nations are going to be against Israel during the tribulation period. And it doesn't t- take much to get there. It doesn't take very much at all. When that happens, they're going to recognize their Messiah. Now, that's when the reality That's the little parentheses here. That's when the reality of the middle wall of separation, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, is going to be broken down. It has been through the work of Christ. It still has future um, fulfillment implications as well. When, when, When Israel recognizes their Messiah, verse 26, chapter 11, in this way all Israel will be saved, those that are genuinely the seeds of promise. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. This will be my account with this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Is present day Israel, question, our brothers in the faith? And we get kind of confused on this. Is present day Israel our brothers in the faith? I mean, they worship and pursue Jehovah of the Old Testament. Look at verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. So present day Israel is not a brother in the faith. That doesn't mean we don't support Israel. Doesn't mean that we don't recognize that that they are a chosen people from the Lord. But to think that we walk hand in hand with the same belief system, they, they crucified the Lord that you follow. They persecuted and killed the prophets. They persecuted and killed when the church began. That was Saul's mission until he came to know the Lord. Even the persecutor, Saul, who became a follower of Christ, church history would martyr. Uh, Church history says was martyred for his faith. Are many Jews religious today? Yes. Are they genuine in their religion? Yes, they are. But it's without knowledge. And that's just critical. That our eyes are open through the word of God, through the spirit of God, to the person of Jesus Christ. Do they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? No, they don't. They continue to reject him as their Messiah. God is still in the process of gaining their attention. And what's going to ultimately gain their attention is what's referred to in different places, some different phrases, the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath. When he, when he punishes sin completely and especially gains their attention. When we consider Israel's present day dilemma this week, Hamas entering in and killing innocent people, when we consider that dilemma and the difficulties of it, it points to something that's even more difficult for the nation of Israel as well. Right now, they've got other nations that stand beside them that are helping. I'm, I, was, I was 
kind, I was glad and kind of surprised that our present administration stepped in so quickly to back Israel. I hope it's done as well behind the scenes as much as it is publicly, but they have nations that are walking with them. They won't always have nations walking with them. Jesus said, every nation is going to hate you for my cause. Jeremiah 30 says this, alas, for the day is great so that none is like it. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus in Matthew 24 said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, not, and never will be. Mark recorded it this way in chapter 13. For in those days there will be tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time. All the way back, we're, just, we're studying when God created and, and Adam. It, from then all the way till now, it hadn't been this bad, and it's never going to be this bad again, but it's going to get there. And so what they're going through right now, it isn't good, it's horrible, um, but it's going to get worse. No flesh would be saved, this is what he says, unless the Lord had shortened the days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake whom he chose, he has shortened the days. That's how bad it's going to get. Daniel 12, chapter 12, verse 1 says this, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince, the angel, who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. As regards the gospel, they're enemies for our sake. That's God's declaration. That's, that's the Spirit of God writing through Paul as regards the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation by faith. Jesus is the Messiah. They are enemies for our sake. But he didn't stop there. He says, but as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Where would we be without Abraham? Where would we be without Isaac? Where would we be without Jacob? Where would we be without the Davidic line and ultimately Jesus coming from that line? And so they're beloved for that reason. And it's kind of this confusing, it's kind of this confusing mentality of enemies on the one hand and yet beloved on the other hand because of the history that comes and yet there's this continual rejection of the Messiah and God continues to work to get his attention. And I want to finish just reading this and it's been my prayer, and I hope it is even now, I say it is even now, that you soak this in and worship God. This is Romans chapter 11, verse 29. Excuse me, verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he, have, that he may have mercy on all. Reminds us of Romans chapter 3. None righteous, no, not one. He's consigned disobedience that, they may, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. How unsearchable are his judgments, how unknowable or how inexplicable are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And that should be our prayer. And we should pray that for Israel, that God would use the present dilemma to open up the eyes of some of the remnant and ultimately even the nation as a whole, though they will go through some other things. As we pray for Israel and what's going on now, 
like right now, right now, people dying as we pray for them and what should be going on. Let's pray that, that they would understand and believe um, on their Messiah, our Messiah as well. And we also pray for God's plan of the ages um, to happen, and it will, exactly as, he, as he's designed it. And we want to enter in and pray for that as well. And in the midst of that, there is intense suffering. But oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unknowable, inexplicable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsel? Who am I? Who are you, Job? Who are you, put your name there, to counsel the Lord? And yet that challenges some of the things that we believe. And it ought to. Bible study ought to always challenge what we believe. Let's line up with what God has to say. Amen? Father, we bow before you. We acknowledge you as the giver of good gifts. We think not only of salvation, but we think about the how you did that from Abraham all the way down to David, all the way to Jesus. We recognize that all by ourselves, we would not have pursued you, but you drew us, you wooed us. You even gave us the faith to believe, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. We recognize it's not of works. Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our Israelite friends that the remnant would recognize and believe that Jesus is the Messiah and died on the cross for them. And ultimately, we pray as well for your plan for them. We acknowledge that it's going to happen. It says so in Scripture. We believe that, and we want to enter in and pray to that end as well, that you would use dilemma and wars and rumors of wars and all of the end times signs that you gave and then ultimately being hated by all nations that you would open their eyes and they would recognize Jesus is the Messiah and return and repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we confess that we're not your counselor. Forgive us when we seek to attempt to do that through what we call theology or our understanding. Give us a teachable heart and a teachable mind. And may we land and believe where you want us to land and believe. Have your way in our individual lives. We pray for our nation as well. We pray for the nation of Israel. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done is what we pray in Jesus' name.